Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by and so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of fascinating stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. The show is supported by Illustration X. Go and take a look at their incredible global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. If you like the music for the show, go and listen to Dirty Freud over on Spotify and all good music platforms now. Today I'm joined by Peleg Top. Peleg is a man who is truly one of a kind. But he's here to teach you that you are too. And you're just going to have to get past the cliche because it is true. Peleg used to work as a designer and burned out. He knew he was empty and he didn't know where to go, so he sought help. Today, he works as a coach with his creative high growth program. And believe me, this is one impactful conversation that resonates with everything that's going on in the world today. Hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're feeling energized and creative. This week, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm getting there. I've talked to you guys recently about the burnout and the kind of anxiety, the eco-anxiety that I've been suffering recently. And I'm quite open, quite vocal about it because we need to talk about this. It's a major, major issue in our world. It's the biggest issue any of us faces, whether we want to face it or not. And that's something I'm trying to confront now and I'm trying to work through it with my creativity and just understand the psychology of why I feel so... Well, I mean, the reasons are pretty damn obvious, let's face it. But we're not getting into that today. We're looking at the understanding of the self. You know, really getting back in tune with those motivators and making sure that you're empowering yourself with your creativity and doing it the right way. And that's not uh, one of those grandstanding statements that means, oh, this guy's privileged. You only have to look at my bank account to realise that I'm not. (laughs) But the reality is, I think you've always got to be moving in the right direction and it's not always easy to know what that is. And that's why I wanted to talk to Peleg today because he is so... Um, what's the word? He's a man for these times, let's put it that way. He goes under the title Spiritual Director, which blew me away. I thought that was awesome. And his work is reconnecting people with their creative soul, taking them back to childhood, getting them to remember why they did this in the first place. Because let's face it, we all burn out to some degree you know we step off that path and whether it's because we're working in commercial jobs to pay the bills or whatever the reasons might be managing too many things spinning too many plates there are frames we put on this stuff to explain the reasons why we no longer feel in love with creativity and what we did and so many of us go through it i've had so many people on the show who uh I can think just off the top of my head of Craig Oldham as a great example of someone who was working in agencies and experiencing the success that we all crave. But he realised that he just wasn't doing it for him and he needed to be doing something that was more personal. So it's well worth going back and listening to that episode. I titled that one, What's the Effing Point? And there was two parts special between Craig and Dewinda Bansal. But Craig's is a great example of that. Um, before I go on any further, a big thank you to the founding supporter of the show, Illustration X. 
Illustration X are a giant in the illustration and animation world, and you can see any of their global range of portfolios now, and the great work they do in the creative industry with the Society of Artists Agents, the Association of Illustrators, the Directory of Illustration, over at We Are Illustration, sorry, illustrationx.com. Social media is We Are Illustration X. Um, go and check them out. They're awesome. So Peleg Top is he's just a man for our time, and so here's a little bit from his website. Um, he's offering our listeners a free one-hour introductory video session to his Creative High Growth program. I recommend it, and I think after this conversation, you'll be lunging for that website. <laughs> so here's from Peleg's website. We all go through challenging times in our life, times of burnout, times of grief and loss, times we feel empty and disconnected as we long for clarity, direction and love. But sometimes the challenge is with the work we do in the world, the work that has defined our identity and shaped who we are, no longer feeds our soul. You became a creative professional and somewhere along the line you lost your own authentic voice. What used to bring you joy is now burning you out. You feel lost and confused about what's next for you. And you may be worried about money. You may have tried to gain clarity and confidence with self-help books, traditional therapy or self-guided online courses. But those options did not bring you the answers you were seeking. You were not alone. Almost every accomplished creative experiences this type of crossroad somewhere in their life. You are in a liminal space. The space between the familiar and the unknown. A transition, an opportunity, a time for change. Now that certainly struck me. I'm sure it's striking a few of you right now. It's so damn common because this stuff that we do is so attached to who we are as individuals. We wear it as our identity and sometimes it's hard to step away from what we think is right for us when it's stopped being that a while ago. If you listen to the recent episode with Dan Kieran, uh, founder and former CEO of Unbound, he talks about cost correction and why it's crucial to just have a conversation with ourselves and check that we are on the right course. And he speaks in his own story and said that, you know, he realised that maybe he was on a course that he set for himself 20 years ago and it just didn't make sense. So I think that sums it up pretty well. I'm going to get you to the conversation now. Let me know your feedback, please. Come and have a debate if you think that it's um, bullshit. <laughs> I hope you don't. But, you know, as Peleg and I talk about, we do get the kind of bitter, fearful backlash that, you know, in today's world because we it's tough out there. So that's fine. Come and have a conversation. We'll have a ding-dong if you're up for that. Um, but I hope that's not the case. I hope you feel really inspired in the way that I did after this conversation because I just thought it was so powerful and so relevant for what the world is experiencing today, not just the creative industries, but there's just so much toxicity out there on social media the media are doing a great job of pitting us against each other to the joy of governments you know you're, you're shouting at your opposites you nobody's meeting in the middle and having nice conversation not nice but strong good vibrant conversations to learn off each other and if we can all admit we're wrong you know the world would be a better place anyway i'm not going to bang on too much about that give me a feedback hello at bentown.com if you want to drop us an email enjoy this conversation with peleg top I grew up in uh, uh, in Israel, in a small city named Batyam, which is adjacent to Tel Aviv. It's a, kind of like a surfer town, beach town. Um, I lived there until I was 15, and which was the age that uh, my family immigrated to the States. But, uh, my childhood was, um, gosh, a combination of joy and trauma <laughs> at the same time. You know, um, I think biggest part of my my own spiritual journey has been in healing the wounds 
of my childhood traumas and reconnecting to the joy that that I had as a kid and living my life in that place of joy. So, you know, childhood, it was not easy growing up in a a war-torn country, a brand new country that is just kind of figuring out who, what it's going to be. And um, yeah, and on top of that, you know, to grow up in a extremely homophobic culture as a gay boy (laughs) who was subjected to a lot of uh, bullying and a lot of um, prejudice and uh, you know that would do a number on your psyche as well so um, it was it was a colorful childhood mm-hmm. <laughs> I can say that yeah yeah was there a time you know I mean I, I, I want to sort of touch on creative roots also and I, I was there a time when I mean childhood is an abundantly creative period I think just by the nature of what we are as humans um was there a, you know, did, okay, let's keep it basic. I mean, did you, did you draw? Were there creative outlets throughout this time? Or was this, was this, was there a time a little later, for example, that you might have discovered ways of expressing yourself? Let's keep it simple. Yeah. I think I was always creating something. Uh, I think the creating creation process was always a, a place for me to go and escape um the first experience of creating is writing I, I started keeping a journal when i was probably oh eight or nine and coming to the page and writing on a regular basis was an incredibly healing experience and a space for me to just express myself because i i felt very much alone in the world and uh, and even though my mom is an artist and an art teacher um Creativity and as far as uh, uh, art, art comes to to play was not something that I experienced myself a lot of. Um, music was the second area. Um, I I was uh, uh, from a very early age uh, began to learn to play the, the piano and um, music helped also bring me a, bring me solace, bring me a pace. Not only learning to play it, but also um, just embracing music as a whole, you know, one of my biggest hobbies as a kid was making mixtapes. <laughs> you know, I would, mm-hmm. I would spend hours and hours and hours documenting my life through music. And um, it's funny because today at the age of 55, now, now I'm a DJ as part of my, my, part of my life. And it goes all the way back to who I was at a very young age, creating musical experiences that, uh, that heal, that transform, that open my heart. And that's that's kind of where I go to when I DJ too. My goal is to open people's heart, yeah. and it's interesting to see how how that part of that creative part of myself has found finally found a way to express itself after all those years. Isn't it incredible the the you know the various timelines that we're all on in that regards? The you know I I um. I mean, I can think of countless examples, but I do find it absolutely fascinating, particularly that kind of, that awful attitude that that we kind of allow ourselves to encounter, which is, oh, you know, what's what's the point now? You know, it's just gone, it's too late. It's like, and that's, I don't know what the origins of that are. Maybe it's a learned thing, but I, I love those kind of stories. I came across a short story writer called Kit DeVal recently, and then Kit only started writing, I think she was 45, 
this was an age when her kids started to get a bit older and life, you know, gave her more time back to do that. And she's gone on to win numerous awards. And the, and you, there's just a soul to the writing that that is just so raw and her, and it's wonderful. And could, I think these things can only be when they're ready, you know? Yeah, I am. I think what happens is, based on my own life's experience and, and after witnessing um, helping so many creative people get back to that root of creativity for themselves, um, we were all born creative. There's a creative energy in in all of us, and uh, as we as we grow up, as we mature as children into teenagers into adults, um, we begin to develop this inner judger, this inner critic that begins to tell us that we're not good, that we're not worthy, and that voice becomes very very loud. And um, ultimately, we may find ourselves in life stuck. And not knowing what do we want to do, what's our next thing, and um, I always say, think back to when you were a kid. What did you love to do when you were a kid, before your inner judger um, was invited in? And when I think about my life, things I used to love to do, now that's what I'm doing today in a much more professional, um, professional way. But it started way back then, and yeah, I think it's just fascinating how organically we gravitate into something that speaks to our soul. For some people it's painting, for some people it's music, for some people it's writing, for some people it's a combination of all. But there's always something in us. Every every human being has always had um, a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. And that creative outlet, if we... Now, now I know this because of where I am in my life right now, but I know that if I... I'm feeling stuck. If I'm feeling any, if, if I'm going through anything that's negative in my life, I can always go back to my creativity. I can always go back to a creative outlet and help process whatever is happening in my life out of me and help me move forward into whatever is next for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think it's quite a miracle, actually. I think it's incredible. And I, it makes me sad when people don't. You know they don't encounter that magic, um, or all they, you know, their lives have sent them on a path that perhaps they never had a chance for that. You know, I I recently interviewed um, a friend who works at a secure children's institute. So these are the kids who fall foul of the criminal justice system here in the UK, and the work they're doing there is incredible. You know, it's very holistic. It it, it takes them from an education system which has been very academic. You know, it's it's all about academic intelligence. It's about memorizing and, and exams and tests and tick boxing to a degree and a very much negligent of other forms of expression uh, so dance drama you know and so i've been doing this whole research on this book that i'm writing for all this stuff and you know she talked about how they come from that from feeling very um undervalued and invisible at times and kicked out of school after school because they've got this prickly vibrant energy that evan hasn't you know they've never had any guidance to show them where to point that and so they arrive at this place and feel like they're criminals essentially um and then suddenly they're given the duty to look after the fish pond or maybe they're learn to cook you know once they once they're able to establish that first bond of trust with an adult which maybe they've never had it's magical things happens where that energy is suddenly given these different outlets um and it just makes me incredibly sad that it has to get to that point before this is a thing you know and it should be in all walks of education i, I feel personally 
Yeah, I, I will have to agree with you. Um, you know, we we live in a a culture that values the intellect more than the emotional, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we we are in the in our Western world anyway. We're we're ushered into a system that you know, tries to spit out um, the same kind of person. You know, mm-hmm. the same type of qualifications, the same type of worker, you know, the, the educational system we have now, um, you know, started <laughs> in the last century because of the way that we lived and the way that we worked. And it made sense back then to do it that way. But we have so evolved since then, but we're still stuck in an educational system that doesn't value the creative outlet, doesn't value the emotional part of who we are. Um, it's so... You know, I know that was my case. You know, I felt like I was imprisoned when I was in school. I mm-hmm. felt it was n- nothing fit. It was just I was always the odd bird, and I know I'm not. I'm not the only one, but I had no other choice, right? This is this is what we do. This is you know we go to high school, and this is the experience that we have. And you know, it it took me uh, some time af- afterwards to finally come to the 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 understanding that who who I really am and what really what I'm really good at and what really speaks to my heart and that I can do something that is unconventional in my life not follow not follow the system anymore and that was one of the best decisions that I've ever done because it opened up a whole new life for me that was truly a creative life mm-hmm. reading as I go you know mm. Yeah, and I, I listened to one of your previous conversations, and I love your. If you wouldn't mind just giving us a, a little taste of the role you had at the, the, the in store at the record store, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, first job out of high school. I mean, and practically the day of graduation, I remember this clearly. Uh, one of my friends in school who used to work at uh, Tower Records. She was a cashier there, and casually she she told she told me, "Hey, you know, we're looking for a cashier at the store. Do you do you looking for a summer job?" And of course, I immediately said yes, because music was my life. And, you know, to work in a record store and have access to any record that I want to listen to, that would be a dream come true. And I took the job. And after about a couple of months, an opportunity came up to become an in-store artist. This is something that I've never seen any other company do. But Tower Records was all about artistry. And they had, you know, dozens and dozens of stores around the country and around the world. Every single store had an art department. Every single store had a staff of artists that were continuously working on creating just promotional items, displays, paintings. I mean, it was a very, very active um, art shop that the store had. I worked there for six years with an unlimited art supply budget. I could go into a record store and just buy whatever I wanted because I wanted to try it out. Wow. That to me was even more valuable than going to any art school because I learned how to become an artist, ironically, by copying the work of other artists. And, um, you know, there's, there's a famous quote. I forget who said it now. I think it's a Japanese fashion designer. I'll have to look him up. But the quote goes, Copy, 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 and you'll find yourself. (laughs) 
And I think that's that's the experience that I had for five years. I wasn't creating anything new. I was reproducing album covers. I was learning lettering by tracing them and cutting them out of board and and really all hands-on, zero computer work. That to me helped me discover who I am by copying other people's work and putting it out there. Mm. So um, yeah, that was the first path of becoming an artist. And after working there for about five years and starting to get you know freelance jobs from uh, from outside of of the store, um, it just made sense to to leave the security of the job and begin to freelance and do and work for myself, which opened up a whole new world because I had no idea about what it takes to run a business. Anything from you know the legal stuff, the taxes, the the insurance, the there's so much so much involved in running your own business, as you know. But and I made so many mistakes along the way that cost me thousands and thousands of dollars. But that's that's the price I paid. In, I paid <laughs> the Life University versus a you know a traditional school to to learn the things that I need to learn. Uh, but it it was a creative life from the get go, and there there's I can't describe can begin to describe the the joy of experiencing creating something. And seeing it out into out in the world, doing doing its thing, you know, serving the purpose that it needs to serve, whether it's promoting a record or selling a book or uh, whatever it was, it was an art within itself. And you know, life happened from there. <laughs> I remember buying eight copies of the first. I did the first cover I did for the Guardian Film and Music. Uh, here in the uk eight copies yeah. like i gave one to my parents one to my uncle one to my brother and then the rest just kind of sat there gathering dust but you know it's just completely exactly what you said there pal like the that that kind of joy of just seeing this you know because it encapsulates so much more doesn't it than the you know than yeah. the, the one thing so either yeah. you know god it's hard work to get that to make that happen you know um but there's a so I, i'd love your story about the design conference and the impact that had, you know, the, the kind of eye-opening experience um, that I've heard you tell. I wanted to touch on that because so many times we encounter something in life that either opens a new way of thinking or maybe just wakes something up inside of us and we know that something either has to change or we get a taste of this thing that seems beautiful. And But again, much like the education thing we touched upon, there, there are barriers and there's that inner voice that doubts that we can do this or we can afford this and then many many different things it's kind of a rhetorical question because i know it's vitally important but i wouldn't i mean can we touch upon the importance of listening to those feelings and, and actually respecting those urges because i think that it's those instincts and those that rush is everything well maybe not everything but it's a it's a huge indicator right and we have we must listen to that where does that come from do you think? Yeah, I think it's. I think it comes from our soul. Really, it's mm. our. It's our soul um, speaking to us. It's this. It's this knowing. It's intuition. It's. 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 It's just there. It's present. And sometimes, sometimes it's loud enough that we we must follow it. Uh, sometimes it's not that loud. Sometimes it's there, but there's a part of us that is. Um, kind of running the show, the self-doubter, 
the the fear part of us that ultimately wins and i think the it's 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 really it's really good to pay attention to what are the things that really excite us what are the things that make us to wake wake us up inside like to to pay attention because that's that means this is where we need to go this this is the direction and you know the experience back in the day when i was yeah, a professional designer going to these conferences design conferences was one of the highlights of the year for me because i i would always come back from these um gatherings with so much new energy and so much inspiration it was really important to just get out of my surroundings and go expose myself to some new things whether it's looking at other people's work listening to uh speakers tell share their stories or whatever it was that the community of that conference offered it was a vital part of staying in touch with that creative core voice that i had inside because every every time i would go to the conference it would wake up it would be really loud you know what it's like you go to a design conference and it's like you come back you're you know you can feel like you're buzzing with so much energy and you want to just create and do stuff and yeah you know so um that that was a, a vital part of keeping my creative flame alive you know for many years um but the experience that i had with my own my own creativity was that i ended up I ended up finding myself meeting myself in a place when I was about late late thirties or so. I all of a sudden met myself in a place where I was completely empty, as far as my creative well was empty. I had nothing more to offer. I felt like I was just repeating myself. The work was boring, and I look at that time in my life and I and I see that that was a spiritual crisis that I was going through because the thing that used to give me so much joy all of a sudden was not anymore. All of a sudden it became heavy and became a responsibility, became um, soulless. Um, and that was the moment when I realized that I am not accessing my creativity to its full potential. Because up until then, all the creative work that I did had to do with pleasing a client. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, there was always an approval that I had to get to from, from someone approving my work. So thanks to that system, I became the kind of creative that only creates for approval. Right? Is Put me in front of a blank canvas, I would panic. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know where to start. And that was my wake-up call that um, that I want to explore my creative my creativity as far as what do I have to say? What do I want to say? How do I want to say it? How do I want to express myself? I realized that I wasn't really expressing myself in my life. Mm-hmm. I was channeling creative energy to meet a design brief to 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 uh, satisfy a client. I did really good work. I got paid very well. It was a good life, but there was always something missing. I knew this the most. This is why it was so hard for me to go to museums or gallery openings because, oh my God, envy would kick in. Yeah. Judgment would kick in, right? Why aren't you doing this? 
right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that inner calling was there, but I was so afraid to answer it because I didn't even know where to begin. I think you tell a very common story. And, I, and I, I've been doing this 15 yeah. years full-time now, primarily as an illustrator, and now you know doing this, writing. Um, and I see it all the time. And I understand why, because creativity is, you, you hit the nail on the head there, it comes from the soul. It comes from a deeper place than, I don't want to say other professions, because I, I don't know that. I can't speak on other professions that I haven't done. But I know how attached this is to to the to our inner selves it it is always so when we are only serving others and and you know whether it's repetition or whether it's briefs that are not aligned with where we we want to go in our lives that's when it becomes challenging and then there's this bizarre thing where you're doing this thing that you know should feel good and you know you really wanted but it isn't delivering anymore and i think there's a real there's a period where you almost almost a paralysis I don't know if everyone goes through that, but I think it's hard not to because of those reasons. It's you've built your identity on this thing, so it's very hard to detach from that. And I think it takes courage, but it also, I do you think there's, um, I wouldn't say it's mandatory, but do you think there's something we have to go to a darker place sometimes, maybe a a personal low before we before we're willing to confront that. Yeah, I, I do believe that sometimes we we need a little bit of darkness mm. in order to begin to 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 see some light. Um, I have a I have a, this sign on my uh, office wall that says "Stars cannot shine without darkness," mm-hmm. and I can really relate to that because I do believe that we each one of us is a star, and for us to be able to fully shine, we we have to go through the darkness. We must go through the darkness. The darkness that I felt in in that part of my life, um, it's what ultimately pushed me to begin to ask different questions, to begin to 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 want different things in my life, to begin to to dive a little deeper because I knew that I was the I was getting in my own way, mm-hmm. and that was the first time in my life that I said, "Okay, I'm ready to get. I'm ready for some help. I, I this is a problem that I have no idea how to fix." You know, and I think that I had to go through that process to get to where I am today. And the work that I do today in the world, I'm basically supporting me of 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think I just had a really early spiritual, creative, creative spiritual crisis, <laughs> which was part of my story, part of my karma. But, you know, today, uh, it's the common story that I hear when when people come to my practice and want me to work with them, it's they're, they're in some kind of a crossroad. There's some kind of a, a question in their lives. They, they lost, lost that spark that lost that shine there. They don't know what's next. And they're in this liminal space of trying to figure out who they are. And, and this is where creativity comes to play. Creativity art is the medicine. Let you let, let's get, let's help you get back to, remembering who you are and let's art let art lead you there mm-hmm. and it's amazing to witness to witness artists come alive mm. again yeah that is the biggest joy that i receive out of my, out of the work that i do in the world is seeing how 
they become activated again and how that there's new energy and what they choose to do with that energy and the level of self-trust that they now have is is a remarkable thing to witness mm. and and it doesn't mean that they're that that's it that's the end of the of their spiritual journey it's actually the beginning it's actually the beginning because now they they have a deeper connection to who they are they have a uh the right tools to support themselves when their own inner critic goes out of control they are aligned with who they are and that space of alignment i know you know what it feels like it is the best feeling in the world i'm just feeling aligned everything is just fitting right there's this inner peace in me there's this level of confidence that tells me you're good keep going yeah. yeah do that the thing that you were thinking about that dream that creative project that book that record that whatever it is yeah go do it yes yeah and there's you know i've been researching a lot into floor states as part of the writing that i've been doing and again it's just there's something wonderful about reading about these you know about the the science when well, i'm not even the science of that it's not science but the, the reading about flow and, and knowing that i've been blessed with a lot of flow states whether it's as a child in play and and not and having been uh, fortunate enough to have parents who encouraged me to go after something that you know got me out of bed in the morning because i'd be spending a lot of hours doing it um so they've they've always been there and when they when they're not or there's a lull i've always been quite i've been quite strict with myself in making sure that i i feel and i listen to what's going on inside and 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 you know i'm, I'm better equipped now than i ever was to do that but even when i wasn't particularly equipped I just, you know, I felt like I owed it to myself. I felt like I'd gone so far down this path, a very, to some people, a risky path because it's freelance and it's art and it's all those things that people get scared about. Um, but, the, you know, the, the 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 wonderful feelings in those flow states is too good not to, not to you know, work at it. Um, would you mind just giving us a little whistle stop then, uh, a little whistle stop overview of your work now then as a creative coach? Because I think it's fascinating. And maybe just a little insight into, um, I guess, a snapshot of the people that come to you. And, you know, what I mean, you, mean you just you just did, but are, we, do they, are there demographics? Are there, are there kind of themes within the, the ages of the people, for example, who come to you or the sectors they might come from? Or is it very varied right across? You know, uh, the work that I do is geared towards, a, I call them accomplished creatives at a crossroad. Mm. And um, accomplished creatives can be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. So I've had students as, as young as 30 and as old as 65 uh, and, and anything in between, depending on where they are in their own spiritual journey their own creative journey um, the, the the work that I do is uh, a process that um, it's called the creative high growth process and it's a process that helps people get back to their creative core a process that heals the wounds that they've carried from their childhood and helps them meet themselves as creators 
Uh, it's an intense process. Um, I, I do it once a year. We're in it right now. It's called 100 Days of Creative High Growth. And it's, it is 100 days. It's 100 sessions in 100 days. It is an intensive, as you can imagine. Uh, and it's done in a cohort. So uh, every year, a cohort comes together uh, to to go on this journey. And uh, it's it's quite a remarkable process that brought 20, year, 20 years of doing one-on-one work with people and identifying the, the tools that work, taking all of those tools and creating a creative journey that a person goes on where they uh, guide themselves through a process of waking up their creative free spirit and beginning to create for the sake of creating, but not for the sake of solving a problem. Yeah. And, and that, I think, is where we, we begin to lose sight of who we are as an artist, especially if we're writing for you know, commercial art, okay? whatever is art that you're, gonna, that you're producing that serves a creative brief, right? See, I've, I've, I've learned that there's two types of creativity. There's, there's intellectual creativity and there's emotional creativity. We, be, we get really, really good at, emo, at uh, the intellectual creativity part because that is creativity for the sake of solving problems, right? As creatives, we love solving problems. We love solving problems with ideas, and then we love to channel our artistic talent to manifest that solution in the world. And we spend most of our lives in that intellectual creativity space. But there's this other part of us, the emotional creativity that needs to be addressed. It's how we express our own authentic voice in the world. Who are we? What do we stand for? What do we believe in? If we don't uh, give that part of ourselves an outlet, that emotional creativity, well, guess what happens? It gets, we get stuck. Because there's, there's, there's that emotional part of ourselves that wants to express itself, wants to flow, you know, emotion, energy in motion. We, we have to address that. So the, the beauty of helping someone tap back into that emotional creativity space and watch when the, when the, the dam opens up to see what happens because it's been so much stored in for so many years that hasn't been expressed yet. That it's remarkable to witness. And it's some of the most beautiful art that I've ever seen. It's moving and it's deep and it's abstract and it's, it's raw and it's, um, yeah, it's medicine. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that reminds me of a recent, I, I interviewed a friend I met recently from having moved to Salisbury and she's a, an English and a drama teacher at school. Now drama, she only gets to teach one session every two weeks to, you know, the per class. But she talks about, you know, the, the, the particularly the male students, but, but broader than that, but the students who've had tough starts in life, who were naughty in other lessons, yeah. They're acting up, disengaged, and how they just come alive in drama 
because it's this different form of expression. And I think it speaks to that emotional creativity that you just yeah. uh, wonderfully articulated. And, you know, for example, she gets them to, you know, launch a chair across the, the studio and, 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 you know, scream and shout. And she said, at first you get this, what, uh, you know, looking around at their friends, but she makes a real point of creating a safe space. And anyone who even, you know, dares to mock or smirk, or they're immediately ejected from the class because it has to be a completely safe space. But she said that, again, that breaking of the dam and that realising that this stuff can be done in a productive, interesting, emotive way, it's just um, empowering and incredible to watch. And I just love you know those stories so i mean for for you now knowing your story and that trajectory and reaching that place of um whether this disillusionment is the right word i don't know but um dissatisfaction and then to to get to a place where you're seeing that up close and personal and knowing that that's your work must feel incredible it feels amazing and and i can tell you that it took about 15 years to get there Mm. you know um if i can address the idea of uh shifting from being a creative professional to a coach, which I see a lot happening in the industry, the coaching industry. Um, And it's a very natural progression, I think, for creative professionals to become coaches. Um, the, the, The process of... Um, the process that that I've created so far could not have happened at, at the gate as as I started coaching other people, right? I, I needed to really understand what it is that I'm here to teach the world. Mm-hmm. I thought I did in the beginning, but I was basing that on my refined skills. It wasn't really coming from a place that's deep in my soul. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ripe yet. And I... For my journey, I needed about 15 years banked of of one-on-one sessions with people. I needed to clock in my 10,000 hours to be able to begin to realize and begin to see the patterns that show up in the people that come for coaching, the real issues that are not being addressed, and to begin to address them. And what I have seen over the years in coaching creatives and you know I started out as a business coach I was all about business and marketing and that was my expertise and and um what I began to notice is that almost every every person that I coached their business issue or their professional issue was a uh, a personal or a spiritual challenge in disguise um. and Soon after the this the sessions began to to look like very deep spiritual conversations and coaching people on less on what you need to do to achieve what it is that you want to achieve, but more around a way of being. Who do you need to be? So the the when the work shifted to less about doing and more about being not only that the the outcome was completely different and most of the time completely unexpected because when we 
when we make choices from, from a place of who we are versus where, what we do, we make very different choices. Those choices are, once again, aligned with who we are. It's it's fascinating to to witness a person listening to their true voice, trusting their true voice. The, the spiritual work that every one of us needs to do in order to ultimately get aligned with who we are, you know, ha happens in a, a very different points in our lives. I don't think it's a one-time event. I think it's, it's a path. It's a journey. We continuously explore who we are. We continuously heal layers and layers of resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have to do the work. We have to do the work for that. So I knew that there was a moment where I had to shift the way that I work, no longer see clients one-on-one like I have before, but create something that can also become part of my legacy in the world, what I, the thing that I contribute to the healing and recovery process of the creative industry. And this, this course, this uh, process that, that I created addressed every single, every single issue that I've dealt with with clients over the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like a creativity and self-love boot camp is what people describe the process and uh, like, and it's intense and it's triggering and it's um, incredibly uncomfortable. And the people that say yes and show up and go on this journey, they become different people because mm -hmm. they, well, they become different to who they used to be. They become more who, who they are. And mm -hmm. they begin to connect to that inner small voice and trust it and listen to it more often. So in a way, you've asked me about my work. I think my work is, is here to heal a big part of our creative industry industry that I was in for almost 25 years and saw how it is operated coming from a place of fear and people pleasing and lack of self-worth and self-value. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. No. You know, as artists, we, we artists, I think need to be the, the most respected, highly highest paid people on this, on this planet, the mm -hmm. things that we create, but that's not the case. Most most artists will most artists will never uh, uh, will never experience that because of where we are in our culture. You know, there's not a lot of value given to the artist, and it's up to us to actually begin to claim our own value. And we'll only be the only way we will be able to do that is if we actually see our own value. We actually begin to believe that what we do is valuable and that we have worth in the world and that um, we have a voice. You know, so I I wish there was more people doing this type of work, this healing work in our industry. And I'm, I'm delighted to see many of the graduates that go through my process decide to continue the work and teach their clients this process. And this is part of taking the work, the work into the world. But this 
fear-based culture that we have in the creative industry is something that we don't talk about much. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really delighted to have this opportunity to even e- express what I believe the truth is. Uh-huh. I agree with every word. And I think that there's so much fear in the world now, you know, this, maybe these past decade, oh, yeah. it's gone crazy. It's getting worse. It's yes, getting worse. It's so much worse. And I think that what's interesting there is, is you have this, some regards that's all, you know, saddening and frightening. On the other hand, it, it shows that things are shifting. You know, I think the, coming out of the pandemic, we saw that people wanted a little more. I think people had a time, a rare moment for reflection and and, and contemplation. Yeah. And and what I saw happening then, you know, is even now, you know, here in the UK, we're in the dire straits financially and you've got the government doubling down on, oh my God, there's this, you know, bracket between 50 and 65 of people who are able to work and they're not working and what's going on in there. I just subscribed to a magazine called The Idler here in the UK, which is fantastic. And it's about, it's about a contemplative life and it's about philosophy and it's, and what's brilliant there. And I think is so indicative of the fear culture that you mentioned there, Peleg, is that the idler is nothing to do with laziness. It's about stepping back and, you know, the, the, the strap line of the magazine is slow down, live well, have fun. And it's about stepping back to see the big picture, you know, and about, you know, there's a whole sort of manual book that Tom, the editor, wrote, and it's you know, there's just just assignments like sit on a sit on a bench the next time you're walking home from town and take five minutes to hear the birds sing, and you know, and and what you get in the comments is kind of you get this mix of adulation and vitriol. So the vitriol is kind of, oh God, privilege central right here, you know, and it's like, and it's like, I understand where that comes from, but like you said, very much fear. Um, and I tend to notice that, you know, before people reach that place, they have to get to, like you said, a spiritual crisis. There's the very much the the barriers go up. I've seen, you know, the, the, it's almost a case of, well, I could never do that because I've got these bills. And that is that kind of bitterness and rejection deeply comes from fear, doesn't it? And it's, it's so all com- fear. It's all fear. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we basically have two choices to come from in our life. We can either come from love or we can come from fear. Mm-hmm. So if I look at my life and the choices that I make, if I'm always making that choice from the place of fear, and fears are default, unfortunately, because from my experience, most of us are actually afraid of love. We don't trust love. We want love, mm-hmm. but we don't trust it. And love lives in our heart, loves in our lives in our soul. It doesn't live in our intellect, right? But we don't listen to that part of ourselves. So, um, yeah, it it comes from that voice, from that place. And if we uh, if we begin to pay attention to that, if we begin to cultivate that that voice, that 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 is our healing process. That will shift us from a place of fear to love, and fear happens. I mean, everywhere. And, you know, because I have the experience in the creative industry and I've been through, uh, I've been into businesses and corporations that uh, call themselves creative agencies and ad agencies. And to witness the level of fear that is running the show, the people pleasing, the, the, the secrecies, the, it's just the politics all that's so 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 fear based. That's because 
we live in a fear-based culture mm-hmm. and we absorb it and that's who we become. So ultimately the healing work, the work that we want to do, and it would look different for everyone depending on where they're at in their life's journey, is shifting from a place of fear to a place of love. That shift, that shift is the journey. Mm-hmm. And living from a place of making my choices and my decisions from coming from a place of love, that's a very different life. Mm-hmm. That's a very different life. There's a lot less anxiety, a lot less, a lot less depression, yeah. a lot less suffering. Mm-hmm. You know. I wonder if you might be in a position to offer some... So, that, so one thing I found um, fascinating and heard you talk about and I've encountered now over a number of years and I've been working on it myself is the observation of, of self. You know, the the um, the kind of overriding the the white noise that takes over our heads and, and stepping away, you know, I guess principles of mindfulness. And um, I'm a, I don't know if, am I a worrier? Yeah, probably I'm a worrier. You know, and I, I was aware of that from quite a young age. You know, I, I kind of, I'm, very, I'm a real empath and I'm a very sensitive soul. And, but I haven't ever really suffered too much in the way of depression or any any kind of mental health conditions. And I attribute that to my, to my creativity. And I've done campaigns for mental health charities on the off the back of that because I feel so strongly about that, the joy it gives yeah. me. And as you mentioned earlier, the ability to work through, you know, the overcome the monsters and or manage the insurmountable. That's so that's been something in the last couple of years, that's been something for me that's been really uh, important. So I've suffered quite a lot of eco-anxiety because of the, the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. No wrestling with that to a large degree. Probably I'm going to be for a while, but I'm working hard to un- better understand my mind and the fight or flight instinct and and the things that are going on within. And it's helping. You know, it's helping me to 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 understand why I'm feeling that way and to and to nip the the kind of overwhelming negative emotions in the bud before they can really get going and overwhelm me um then there's the the the, the financial the money thing which is always a you know a challenging thing to to talk about to to get a handle on but again i'm getting better over time because i'm i'm seeing the patterns and trusting that that when i feel good when i'm in these flow states and when i'm making the right work that means something then it, it's incredible the serendipity that happens there, and uh, so much of it that I can't doubt it. It's yeah. just about it's about stepping away, observing myself, and reminding myself time and time again that this has stood me in good stead for fifteen years, and I'm continuing to grow, and it will continue to do so. It takes a lot of trust to do that. Um, so for somebody who's maybe in that place that I referenced, perhaps bitterness or rejecting these ideas, and kind of calling privilege or whatever it might be. What would you suggest as starting points or a really kind of bite-sized basic tip? Well, first I want to acknowledge you for um, for your ongoing continuous work and accessing your creativity in the way that you do. Because the fear that I'm hearing you describe is acting less as something that keeps you stuck, but more as something that motivates you to take action. So as a motivator, fear can work really in a good way, right? <clears throat> but it also sounds like what, with the actions that you take, you have trust in yourself. You're coming from love inside of the action. And that's the difference. Mm-hmm. So kudos to you on having that 
that balance of uh, inside of your inner world to help you stay in alignment with who you are. And the self-reflection that you talk about is probably the most important element of being able to operate and move through the world in a way that is you know, not depressed or anxious, right? is aligned. And that's would be that would be a first place to to begin is to start a journal, start writing, start writing what you think. Just begin to write what you think. Just go to the page and create a habit where you are meeting yourself on a regular basis. And that's what the journal really is. It's about having a meeting with yourself. It's about asking for guidance. It's about listening. It's about observing. Um, you know, if if we can't uh, if we can't observe, if we can't reflect, we can't correct. Mm -hmm. So w we have to have that space of investigation, the space of inquiry. If we don't have that space between between me, myself, and I, right? It's going to feel very scary to be out in the world trying to make decisions or interact with other people or having relationships. What I'm talking about is cultivating the relationship with yourself first. Be in love with yourself. Get to know who you are. Understand who you are. Invest in yourself so that you um, have a clear idea of what you stand for, what your values are. Do the work. Mm -hmm. First step, though, open a notebook and start writing. Start journaling. Start start meeting yourself. Start seeing what is it that you sound like. And if that's a uh, practice that you're not possibly familiar with or used to, or it may be intimidating, um, it's okay. Just pay attention. That, that intimidation, the fear, whatever's coming up, that's an old story. Just see if you can overcome that. See if you can... Uh, Listen to that voice and do it anyway. And the more you do it, the quieter that voice will become because you'll get into a rhythm and there'll be momentum and you'll begin to go to that journal book because it's your medicine, because it's it's where you figure shit out. Wow. You know, it's it's where you get to have a conversation with the deeper part of yourself, with a with with the soul part of yourself it takes practice but that to me is the way in mm. and it also takes deep courage because even even if no one's ever going to see that or you know it's never going to go beyond you it's still to to look at that and know that's a part of you and know that that's real and to be that honest with yourself that takes courage real courage so that even you know i can completely see why that's um so powerful. And I actually met a friend recently who's recently diagnosed um, as autistic and ADHD, and he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. I, I love him. He's got such a dry, direct sense of humor, but he's a totally lovely, lovely guy, cares about everyone. And he recently told me, you know, we have these 
amazingly frank conversations on the dog walk twice, sometimes three times a day. And he recently told me that he does exactly that process, but in voice notes to himself, which I found quite interesting. I guess another, you know, another thing that technology makes possible. He records yes. his little voice clips and again, yes. about that tailoring, That's great. there's something yeah. about tailoring the tailoring the form to your schedule, to your life. And I think this is also something that somebody said to me on a previous interview. And this was, um, my kids have just turned three. So I got a boy and a girl, twins. And um, I did a podcast. I mean, I was really, I mean, I'm still in the, you know, I don't think it's never, I don't think it's ever not going to be intense, but yeah. this was really in the, in the, the introductory, <laughs> you know, in the fire. And I, I remember saying to him that I, I wrote my first two fiction books during that period. And it was partly because I was just in such a headspace where I just to retain that little bit of my creative self because I knew I needed that outlet at a time when I had all these new demands in my life. Um, I did that because I needed that for my own soul. Um, and I told that story to a guy who was also a coach and he said, um, he said, that's really interesting. And he said, what that, what that says to me is that you've used your scenario there to frame, to frame that as a good thing. So that's become your reason to do that. Whereas a lot of people might, from fear, use that as their reason not to, their excuse almost. And I think it's really important to be honest with yourself about the time that you have. If that's very little, find a way that that that's you know that that suits that lack of time. There are ways to do this. Yeah, but you know what? It's 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 interesting you say that because I don't believe that it's time is the issue. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really think that's what it is. What I often hear when I recommend journaling to anyone is the fear is that they won't be good enough that I, I don't know how to do it i don't think i'll be good at it there's this inherent belief that i'm not good enough and that is the first thing to look at because that's a lie mm -hmm. and, and that's a lie that so many of us be, just believe as reality i'm not good at something you know, I'm not, I'm not good at drawing. I'm not good at dancing. I'm not good at singing or whatever that is. There's, there's this inner judger that, that keeps us small, that doesn't open up space for us to explore if we're good enough or, or not. And the reason that we, we don't do that is because we keep comparing ourselves to the masters out there, you know, and, you know, the, there's a saying, you know, if, if whenever you compare, you lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's that ongoing feeling of comparing myself to the external world and encouraging and growing the belief that I'm not good enough or I'm not good at something without even trying, without even giving myself the, the space to explore if I'm good enough or not. So... Yeah, that that uh, that inner voice, that inner critic, the inner judge. I'm telling you, once we tame tame that voice, once we tame that out of control energy in us, we begin a completely different way of becoming artists. We don't yeah. let that voice run the show. We use that voice as an advisor, mm -hmm. yeah. but it becomes our ally rather than our. Uh, are, you know, we're in a prison, right? You know, to become our jailmate. Yeah, 
And it's also that thing of that's still so prevalent, the the productivity thing, you know, so I've got to feel like I've achieved something or I've done something or I, I need to know where I'm going before I even start something. Whereas, oh my God, you know, the, 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 all of the best work, best ideas I do comes from, you know, I'm actually just writing a, um, a talk at the moment and it's called, forgive the uh, the language, but it's called Just Fucking About. And it's, and it's about, you know, it's, and that came from a quote that a previous guest said about the love and the fun and the, and the energy and the laughter that, that characterized his entire career, which is a real maverick career in publishing, was just, it, that's what it was built on, you know, because it lit him up and made him laugh and the people close to him and he built everything on that and it, and it all resonated and became this cultural movement. But, um, you know, we, I think I don't think social media has helped in any way, shape or form because we're, we're at, like you said, the master's complex and almost we see all these finished articles and believe that to even start something, we've got to know where we're going and it's going to be good. And it's, no, the process and the, those flow states come and that's where the great things happen. But well, got... most, most people don't that compare themselves to others are are only seeing the 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 tip of the iceberg what's showing above water right they're not seeing the 95% chunk of work that had to go in to getting to that phase right mm -hmm. so yeah comparing ourselves with someone's finished work of course it, it would be it, naturally if i believe if i don't believe in myself i don't trust myself i don't love myself mm -hmm. of course the first thing that i'll think is i can't do that I don't know how I'm not good enough. I don't even want to try. You know, it's it just f continually feeds that negative self-belief, you know. So um, ultimately, the work that each of us must do on, on ourselves is to begin to examine the stories that we live, the belief system that we have, mm -hmm. and look at the places that we're not happy in our lives. We're not happy there thanks to our belief system. We're not in alignment somewhere there. Our belief system did not kick in. Our true belief system, our our essence, our who who we really are deep inside. Because there's a belief system that we inherit from our mom and dad, from society, you know, and we think it's ours. We think, we believe it's who we really are. But we we suddenly get get to a point in our life where we realize. Life's not really working for me the way that I want it to work. I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? Right? Yeah. We're not happy because we have a skewed belief system that we inherited, that we think it's who we are. But that belief system does not align with who we really are. So in order for us to actually begin to shift that belief system, don't work on the belief system. Work on figuring out who you are. Get to know who you are. Fall in love with yourself. Begin to trust yourself. Build your confidence and watch what happens. It's yeah. a ripple effect. Yeah. And that's a life lesson, you know, regardless of profession and business. Absolutely. That's just that's a fulfilling life right there. The start off. You know? Yeah. Isn't that isn't that all what, what we all want? A fulfilling life at the end of the day. Do you know? Do you know how many of us walk around unfulfilled every single day? How many of us compromise who we are? How many of us are, are afraid to explore who we really are and compromise, compromise our heart, compromise our talents? It's the majority. 
majority yeah. of people out there. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think, why I love the conversations like this and the show that you bring to the world is it's a wake-up call. It's an opportunity for people to see that, oh, there's other ways to live. Mm-hmm. There's other ways to do to do things. Yeah, Maybe the way that I'm leading my life, the way that I'm making choices, the way that I treat myself, maybe I need to look at that first and then figure out what really feels satisfying. Because most people, the idea of what's satisfying for them is just an idea. It's something that they never had. They think, if I get that, I'll be satisfied. If I get that job, if I get that house, if I get this money, if I get this relationship, then I'll be satisfied. That's not how it works. We have to start from a satisfied place. And the only way we could really feel ultimately satisfied is if we know ourselves. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest satisfaction of all, is really knowing who I am, really having a clear idea what my values are, you know, answering to opportunities when they meet my objectives, not because they're the next shiny, you know, shiny new thing that may find attract that may, I may think it's attractive. It means also slowing down, like you said. What was it? Slow down, have fun, live well. It? Live well, yeah. Slow down. If we slow down enough to be able to begin to self-reflect and self-correct, mm-hmm. um. Yeah, that's the, the path to a satisfying life for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, this wasn't on my planned questions, but now that I've heard your story, I thought it might be quite nice to wrap this up. But asking you quite a personal question through, you know, given the work that you, the amazing work you do with people, um, have you been able to heal your younger self? You know, have you, have you, are you at peace now with your own traumas? Yeah. Yeah, I really am. Um, I have a very different relationship with myself now. Um, my inner child is um, part of the team. You know, he has a voice. Um, he is loved and taken care of and nurtured. I know what satisfies my inner child. So I'll engage in activities that satisfy the inner child. Um, I'm in dialogue with the inner child through my journey, journal books. So, um, is there more to heal? Yes. We're, you know, we're ever evolving creatures. Um, and you know, the fascinating and the, the thing that I'm so grateful about doing this work is that ultimately this work heals me. So every time I run my process with people and we go through this journey, I go through my own journey as well. Every time a layer gets peeled, and gets peeled and gets peeled. So I don't think this work is ever done. You know, I think as long as I'm alive, I'll be uh, I'll be interested in doing this work. I'll be interested in continuously healing because it does feel though the older I get, the the freer I become. Mm-hmm. So that's incredible to hear and very, very, very inspiring. And and actually to that end about the work never ending, you know, I, I am on a very similar path. No, very similar, but really quite quite different in some ways. But anyway, I'm on a path where, you know, I've been illustrating for 15 years. Still love illustration, still love illustrating. But through this, these conversations, I'm coming up on about 200 now in this podcast. And I'm writing a second nonfiction book called The Creative Condition. I mean, it's a monster compared to what I initially thought this book would be, but I've just allowed it to grow, and it's just taken me on this wonderful path of serendipity. Um, 
But through all that research, I've fallen in love with the work of Sir Ken Robinson. And Ken's, um, you know, sadly passed away several years ago now. But there's something in that and, and the love that Kev, uh, Ken poured into his work and the joy it gave people and the answers it brought to people. And uh, uh, some part of me feels like, you know, it's almost i got to carry that baton now. I've got, I've got to keep, I've got to do this work on my own terms, but in some way it's the same love of creativity and, 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 the, and the desire to see it become more accepted and more championed and lead society and the problems that we face in the world today, you know? Yeah. And I think that I, I have to think that Ken would love that his work has, you know, even done that with one person, but I know it's done that for thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So to that point, yeah, the, the work doesn't stop. Yep. Well, if uh, any of your listeners would like to uh, begin this journey or continue their own journey with uh, with a taste of what this work is like, uh, I, I invite them to go to my website, which is creativehighgrowth.com, and uh, they can download a, uh, a Creative High Growth session with me. It's an audio-recorded session where uh, we spend about uh, – an hour together doing some of this introduction introductory work to this work and uh it could serve as a opening to enter into this world an opening to what it feels like to self-reflect and um gain a better idea of what it feels like to be inside of this work that's incredible Pelic, and i'm sure that'll be uh, I'll, I'll certainly be uh indulging and i'm sure the listeners will be too <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i've what i've realized is that this work is not for everyone uh it's it's for the ones who are ready and ripe hmm. you know so uh and that's the thing that i've placed my biggest trust in in you know building this work building the school that that offers this work is trusting that uh that the right people will find find this work and uh, so far it's it's been pretty amazing the people who show up to this work from around the world and are saying okay i'm ready to ready to go, ready to dive mm -hmm. ready to dive so you'll know if you're ready yeah you do. <laughs> fantastic well i'd just like to say a big thank you for all the work you've done so far because as a someone whose life has been you know um characterized by creativity and it's a, just a true joy it it keeps me inspired it keeps me impassioned when i encounter people like yourself who are also fighting that fight so thank you and um and also a huge thank you for taking the time to chat yeah thank you it's been a really uh wonderful opportunity to uh to have this type of conversation at this level with this uh, warmth and love so thank you for the work that you do this podcast is amazing i've been diving into it ever since we got connected and i've uh, been really enjoying your work so. thank you so much to peleg for taking the time out of his busy schedule to talk to me today i can honestly say you know we we, we talked for a good 20 25 minutes after the show finished um recording you know it was genuinely into my book how that's coming along the creative condition asking how i got to this place where i was writing that passionate about creativity I was asking about the illustration that i do i struggled to get any more questions in about pellet because he was just you know listening to what i had to say and it was really quite livening and lovely and he was um 
just a warm, warm man to talk to. And I think um, when it comes to kind of whether it's self-help or advice or guidance, we're very defensive and fearful. I've certainly been there in the past myself, in my younger years in particular. But I've only ever learned from mentors and people who gave back, whether they were art directors or editors or friends or family, and, and I stopped allowing myself to snipe and to do that, to judge others. And I'll tell you what, I've been a lot happier since. So I hope you uh, enjoyed that conversation today. Big thank you again to Peleg. Thank you to the uh, crucial founding sponsor of the show, Illustration X. You can check out their global range of illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com. Do head over to pelegtop.com to take Peleg's kind offer of a sampler of his creative high growth program up for free now. That's all I've got to say. I feel even great after this one. It really, really helped me. Um, I hope it's done the same for you. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, for anyone who's going to Off Festival, give us a shout. I'll see you there. There seems to be a mountain list of people who are heading over to Barcelona. I'm going to be talking at 9pm on the Saturday. I don't know if that's a good slot or a bad slot. If it's everyone going to be out boozing, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, and by the way, at the time of recording, um, friend and former guest on the show, Danny Molyneux, Studio Dottos, unfortunately had to pull out of attending the show, so she has got a ticket available. Give us a shout if you're interested in that. Done the same contacts I mentioned earlier. Nice one, guys. Have a great week. 